Hello, everybody. Dr. Lonnie Stewart here from the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. Are you a physical therapy student about to start studying for the National Physical Therapy Examination? Or maybe you're a professor, a program director, or a clinical instructor who teaches DPT students preparing for the NPTE? Either way, we would recommend checking out our sponsor, NPTE Final Frontier, and the community they've built around preparing for and succeeding on the NPTE. That exam and the preparation that goes along with it can be long, tedious, difficult, and stress-inducing, but it doesn't have to be. NPTE Final Frontier has the tactics and resources to help address all of the usual barriers. They even have scholarships to help with NPTE study courses, FSBPT registration fees, and even research opportunities. And if that's not enough, they're even donating to the very first annual HET Podcast Scholarship to be awarded at the end of every year. Go to NPTEFF.com for all of the details and use code HET for 10% off all purchases. Links to both the NPTE Final Frontier and their scholarship options are available in the show notes. And now, let's get ready to learn. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, and I've got with me today very special guest, Dr. Emma Stokes. I'll just start off by saying, A, thank you for coming on and for taking the time to do this. But uh, you've got quite the career. You you have had quite the journey. And uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about it. Tell us a little bit about your academic journey and how it's led you to all the amazing things you've done to, to this date. Sure. Well, I'd like to say there was a plan, but there probably wasn't. Um, I mean, there, at, at times there was a plan and then at other times it was, let's just see where this takes us. Sure. So I, I graduated as a physical therapist in 1990, and the entry to practice degree in Ireland is uh, it and continues to be a bachelor's degree. So it's a four-year undergraduate degree. I'll admit that I spent most of my time as an undergraduate student not wanting to be a physical therapist, and really only completed the course because my parents suggested that I should probably finish it before I decided to do something else. And I was I was very lucky. I got an amazing job very, very early on in a department that focused on the rehabilitation of older people and and a department that was very research-oriented and also very intensive of all the disciplines. So within a year of graduating, I decided I would do a master's degree in research. I, I don't remember why, but except that it seemed like a kind of a cool thing to do. And, and there were very few, there was, there was probably only one or two other physiotherapists in Ireland at the time doing that. But I was embedded in a research-oriented political department. And I think that was really important. And so when I did that, that really started to just stretch me intellectually. And I think that really helped me stay in physiotherapy. And a few years later, I applied for and was really lucky to get a faculty position in the university. And that, that kept me into the profession, I think, again. So every time I've thought about leaving, there's been something that has hooked me back in. And then in Trinity, I, I, I got involved in the professional organization almost immediately after I qualified. For me, it was never a question. I was just always a big part of it. And, and I say this to, to, to so many people, which is, being involved in your professional community, however that is, and, and it will be different ways for different people, offers you opportunities that your day job doesn't always offer you. So you get to do some of the really cool leadership stuff in those roles, as opposed to perhaps in your day, or perhaps in, in my case, it's my clinical job or in my academic role. So 
I would say that a huge amount of my professional journey has been informed not always by the day job, but by the things I did around it. And I think that's just something that is really, really, really important. Uh, and I see now how many fabulous opportunities there are, for instance, to, to, to get involved in the American Physical Therapy Association. And I never considered it a transactional relationship. This was never about what the Irish Society of Traffic Physiotherapists could do for me, but more about the cool stuff I got to do by being part of it. And I noticed this, certainly when I look at the discourse around professional communities and professional organizations now, it's, that's far too expensive and they don't do the things I like. And I'm like, okay, well, here's the thing. Um, you can't change it if you're not part of it. And, and that's a really important, I guess, lesson for me, which is people would often say to me, well, you know, the ISCP should do this just look back at them and say, you are the ISCP, you know, like who else is it going to be, you know? So what was really interesting was in 1998, as a consequence of saying yes to being on a committee, I got to come to my first international physiotherapy meeting. Well, I noticed recently there was an opportunity to volunteer in the House of Delegates at the ABTA. And I'm always, always like, oh, I, could, I could do that. And then I realized the world, you're not a member, you can't do that. But that's essentially how I got involved in world physiotherapy. I volunteered to be part of a general meeting. I felt the only way I was going to get involved in this was to make myself indispensable. And that's what I did. Well, long story, I ended up being elected as president of world physiotherapy in 2019, served for eight years. And along the way, did other things in our university, went to live in the Middle East, set up an academic department, worked with fabulous people on a brand new curriculum, and then ultimately got invited back to the current role that I'm in, which is the vice president uh, for the university with responsibility for global engagement of history. Uh, a lot to unpack there. Uh, first thing I think I want to touch on that you, you talked about is, yeah, there is a lot of discourse with, with professional organizations these days. And the, the APTA is prime number one suspect. I think people, you know, are, A, our membership is, is very low in comparison to how many physical therapists we have in the nation. But B, people just, you know, have that argument or, or oh, well, they don't do what I want them to do or they're not, you know. They're not helping us any. And, and I would agree with you a thousand percent. Then then become a part of it, right? I struggle with the APTA. I have some major issues with the APTA, but I've been a member for 20 some odd years because it's just the right thing to do. Whether I agree or not, I, they're the only ones going to bat for us, right? So I pay my membership fees. I pay my dues, right? But also I run for positions and I have lost several positions. I mean, I've run probably eight, 10 times and lost every one of them. But I'm still trying. I'm still putting my hat in the ring. I'm still giving it a shot because I do believe the only way we're going to get change is by having those people internally trying to push the needle forward and make the change. Right. So luckily, I have had more opportunities because of that. My network has grown tenfold. I've, you know, uh, I'm now on the the education chair, the education committee for the private practice section of the APTA. The, the opportunities are numerous. They're endless. Pick one that you believe in. And go, go for it. Go all in and keep going. Absolutely. And, yeah. don't and find your joy. Exactly. Find the one that's going to be easy for you to be participating in. Because, you know, participating in those committees, as you, as you, as you mentioned, and, um, you know, it's not without its challenges. Like we all have busy day jobs and we all have busy lives. So find one that lights your fire because that's the important thing as well. You know, if you don't have a passion for this, for whatever it is that you're volunteering to do, then on the hard days, they're even harder. Being able to live your joy is really important. And that's where, you know, finding something 
that's not transactional, but that just gives you joy or you get to spend time with fabulous people. That makes it easier. Yeah, I, I call it the zone of genius, right? Or or your your higher calling, like you said, your passion. If you find that, I mean, getting out of bed every day is pretty easy, you know? Exactly. And and when it does get hard, which it will inevitably, it it also makes it harder to quit because you yeah. you know there's a bigger purpose, there's a bigger goal, you're passionate about it, you want to figure it out, you want to problem solve it. That's what, what keeps you going and that's what keeps you in. And you have to have that passion or that higher calling or that zone of genius. Otherwise, you know, it is easy to quit and just give up and say, well, I'm out, you know. Yeah. So president of, of World Physio, like, let's just talk about that. That's amazing. What was that experience like? It was fantastic. Uh, I mean, I sought election in 2015 and, you know, followed on from some amazing presidents, including um, one from, from the U.S., uh, Marilyn Mott. So the first four years, uh, 2015 to 2019, was, you know, it was a big organizational transformation. Absolutely exciting. Really, really interesting in terms of connecting with the global community, really trying to ensure that we were responding to member organizations and their needs. And just to remind um, your listeners, the World Physiotherapy is made up of the member organizations, one per country. So the American Physical Therapy Association would be the member organization from the United States. And uh, we increased our, our numbers of, of member organizations. So it's, it's up around 129 now. And we really did some great, exciting projects. We, we, we had a new strategic plan and that was, we had unprecedented engagement in, that, in relation to the development of that strategic plan. Worked with the fantastic board and, and a really interesting staff and great people working on our, on our staff and got our first big development grant, which actually was from USAID, which was to work with handicaps and um, international, as they were called at the time, they're now called humanity and inclusion, but a lot of people know them as HI. And with them, we did some really interesting development work with the professional community and educational institutions in Mali, Niger and Senegal. And that started a big piece of work in world physiotherapy around development projects and seeking funding for development projects. And then in 2019, I really felt I would have, ideally it would have been six years, not eight years. And in fact, we have changed that now in the, in the constitution and it's voted on by the general meeting that it will be a four plus two term. And funny, both myself and Marilyn spoke to that, which was, you know, by, by six years, you, you know, if you haven't done it by six years, you're not going to get it done. So I, I sought re-election in 2019 and and thought really, I think we took four years where we would consolidate on what we had done. And then there we have a pandemic, a global pandemic. And I think what we were able to achieve in those four years was really only possible because of the four years prior to that, where we, we really set up an you know, incredibly um, strong organization, really good connection globally with our subgroups, our regions, our, our member organizations. And so we developed an enormous amount of resources for the global community on COVID, moved from having a face-to-face to an online Congress for the first time in the history of the organization, like many organizations, and then moved to a space where we had our Congress in Dubai, but we had a hybrid general meeting. So our general meeting is like your House of Delegates. It's where all the member organizations come together. And we had a hybrid general meeting in Dubai in June, where I finished my term after eight years. And now for a quick shout out to our newest sponsor, Varela Financial. If you're a physical therapist and you have student loan debt, you got to talk to these guys. 
What makes them unique is that they view financial planning like running hurdles on a track. And for PTs, the first hurdle many of us run into is student loan debt. Varela Financial will help you get over that hurdle. They not only take the time to explain to you which plans you individually qualify for and how those plans work, but they also take the time to show you what your individual case looks like mapped out within each option. So if you're looking for help on your student loan debt or any area of personal finances, we recommend working with them. I use Varela Financial personally, and they were able to help me lower my student loan repayment from about $1,800 a month down to about $135 per month simply by finding the right repayment plan that best fit me, my family, and our life goals. You can check them out at varelafinancial.com. Link is in the show notes if you need it for reference, and tell them the HET podcast crew sent you. And now back to the show. What a ride. What a journey. Yes. Let's let's, Absolutely. let's let's talk about that. That World Physio Congress, you just got back from that, right? Mm-hmm. And that that must have been an experience too. Tell us a little bit about the World Physio Congress, how it works, and what your experience was like there recently. Yeah. So World Congresses are absolutely amazing. And in 1999, when I went to my very first one, and I was, you know, very early career, and it was in Japan. It was you know, horrendously expensive. It was a time, you know, it was when I was sort of, you know, getting, still getting birthday presents from family. I was like, okay, just just give me the money. I just, you know, that's how I'm going to get there. And I remember going there and the physiotherapy, um, I met some of uh, the physiotherapy managers in the public hospitals who I wouldn't know through my work in the ISCP. Not very well, but this group of managers used to go to all the congresses. They were friends and they would go to all the congresses. And they said to me, when you go to one, you will never miss another one. And I genuinely thought, what are you talking about? And they were absolutely right. I have never missed a Congress since then. And they are just, they're just remarkable in so many ways. And I think it's that sense of the diversity of people that are there. So the fact that there are people from so many parts of the world with so many different experiences. And I suppose, you know, you and I have the privilege of coming from high-resource countries. When you see how our colleagues are so incredibly brilliant and so incredibly committed in settings that are challenging because of political conflict or because of humanitarian disasters or, you know, natural disasters or just simply low resource settings and the value they place on going to Congress to meet other people, it's breathtaking in its ability to cause you to just take a moment to realize how privileged we are. And how so many of us live in a, in, a, in a world of abundance, even if we still give out about the fact that there are insufficient resources for whatever it is we want to do. So it's humbling in many ways. It's also fascinating because for, for me, obviously, I'm interested in the education. Right? So I, there's plenty of content around education. But to me, the content that's there, you know, the world, the, the session on Indigenous health was just, just breathtaking. Our, our sessions on inclusion, our sessions on equity, diversity, uh, on, on belonging, those sessions where we can, you know, can really ask the hard questions and hear the hard answers is, is really, really important. And those, those are the sessions that I think Congress does brilliantly because they're the sessions that other Congresses can't do because they're run by sections or they're, they're, and they have a particular focus, whereas these ones are about gender in sports or Indigenous health and equity, diversity, and um, inclusion in global organizations. 
those are the really challenging thorny questions and learning from those panels and very diverse experiences is absolutely it's just brilliant um, and then you get to kind of have time to hang out with your friends from all over the world you know which is just fabulous as well yeah i think uh i think you've sold me i think i'm ready uh for the next one so 2025 back 2025 in japan, in japan. all right so so for those of uh those of us who are interested in looking it yes. up and, and possibly presenting or going to that uh, congress uh where can they find out a little bit of information about that so going on to um world.worldphysio.org will get you and um, we just double check that so i just just see the, the congress website for japan is probably up let me just double check that and, uh, we can yeah. we can put it into the resources Absolutely. Uh, so, Physio. let me just see if the Congress website is up for 2025. I know that we have, our, it's not up there yet, but it will take place on the 29th to the 31st of May in Tokyo in Japan. And if you go onto the World Physiotherapy website and sign up to receive our updates, you will get an update telling you when, um, when the um, when the congress is taking place, uh, the, when when the congress news is going out there, and I think the first piece of news that everyone needs to watch out for is the the congress planning committee. So the congress program committee is set up um, uh, for each congress, and call went out in a while ago. So uh, I know they're probably the board are meeting in August, and they will um, have you know they will approve the congress um, program committee, and that will be announced. So I would say that they'll probably be announced around September. And that becomes the beginning of the next cycle planning. Awesome. Well, uh, again, I hope people will look into that. I know I'm definitely excited. This would be my yes. first Congress. So I'm, I'm looking to, to submit, you know, a couple of possibilities there. But uh, Great. yeah, I'm excited for, for these, uh, these future physio Congresses to come. But like, what's on the docket for you now? What's, what's next uh, in the pipeline? What's on, uh, in the future for you now that you've finished the presidency, you're moving on to, to the next step and the next phase? Well, I'm doing some great. So I'm going to do one role for a while. Just one. Just one thing. How are you even going to manage that? I mean, after so, wearing uh, several hats for so long. I know. One I know. Yeah. Part of it is actually just making sure that I don't jump into the next thing too quickly. Uh, now, I have had an enforced rest because um, my hip replacement happened about two weeks after I got back from Congress. So that, that, that slowed me down quite significantly, uh, which is always interesting. I have, an, I have a fabulous role here in Trinity, which is just, you know, it's all my joys, really, all my joys. Yeah. Um, so I'm enjoying that. I'm uh, taking three weeks off now, coming up on Thursday. Which is fabulous. I am involved in the World Rehabilitation Alliance, so I'm a member of the steering committee of the World Rehabilitation Alliance, and that will that will keep me busy for the next years. Um, but that's wonderful, and and again, that you know that gets allows me to sort of finish a project that was started while I was in in world physiotherapy. And obviously, my research area and the area that I teach is leadership and advocacy. And I suppose probably watching this space. My sense is that working with a number of other colleagues who have a little bit more time on their hands now, we'll probably start to think about how we might do some teaching in that space. Uh, but but that's that's probably not going to be. We're not going to go. That's not going to be announced until the fall of of this year, and we'll start slowly. I think so. I really am just going to give myself permission to just take a breath for at least a year. Nice. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. I think you've earned it at this point, right? I hope so. 
Awesome. Well, uh, we like to ask all of our guests this one final question. And that question is, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be physio related or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? So I'm going to focus on physical therapy. And what I would change is I would change what I define as regulatory overreach. We can even just call it regulation. How regulation inhibits innovation. So I have been a part of, you know, I was on the council of our regulator in Ireland and part of the Physio Nervous Registration Board here. And I've done some work with the regulators internationally. But if you think about the role of the regulator is to ensure. So whether it's regulators or accrediting or licensing organizations, but essentially the organization through its regulatory framework informs the curriculum the entry to practice curriculum, which is supposed to bring out safe and effective practitioners. And I guess from my perspective, there are things that get in the way of educational innovation that would not compromise safe and effective practitioners. And so part of that is how do we, how do we let our students out into the world? What is it about practice education or clinical education placements that become the limiting factor what is it about in, in the case of the United States fees? How is it that we make sure that we are not preventing the next generation of the best leaders managing to either access our programs or come through our programs in a way that allows them to serve their communities best? And I'm not entirely sure that preventing educational innovation does that. As an English major, reformed English major turned physiotherapist, right? I... I need a creative outlet. I need that that innovation. I need to be able to push the boundaries and try weird things and different things and outside the box things. And yeah, right now we are being stifled by by regulation. And it's it's not just in education, it's in clinical practice as well. So I mean, it's it's a it's a tough battle. It's an uphill battle. Uh, I would like a little more laissez-faire, like, you know, overall physical therapy as a profession does not do that much harm. Like we don't harm people. We don't injure people. Like, you know, it, it, it happens on rare occasions, but we're in it for the right reasons. We're trying to help people. We're trying to get them better. We have good hearts, you know, for the most part, I think, you know, we're, we're, we're healthcare providers. We do care. We're pretty safe practitioners. It's exercise for the most part, like get out of our way and let us do our thing. Right. Like we'll, Precisely. We'll, let us push the boundary. Let us try some things. Let us see. We'll, yeah. we'll probably fail along the way a little here and there, but that's part of the process. Like, uh, you know, we need to push the envelope and, and really be innovative if we're going to make these big leaps and bounds that we want to over the next few years. Absolutely. And if you look at how it took a global pandemic to enable digital practice to happen, really, it took a clap the pandemic. And how long would it have taken if we hadn't had a pandemic? And did the world come to an end? Well, it nearly did in the pandemic, but it certainly didn't when we allowed digital practice. No, if anything, we found that we can even do that pretty well. So, and and actually, it suited it suited our patients and our clients, and it enabled continuity of care. I'm not aware of anything bad happening. And now here in the states, we may have to go back to fighting for it again because insurance companies are now like, "Well, pandemic's over. I don't think we need I, it anymore." It's like, wait a minute, no sense. What yep. just what happened here? You know, so yep. yeah, no, I I love that answer. I love that. I I could not agree with you more, Doctor Emma Stokes. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people reach out to you if they have follow up questions or just want to see what you're up to these days as as you taking can, that one role? 
Yeah, well, follow me on Twitter, but I, but I may not be on there much longer, given all the changes that are happening there. My email address is eastums at tcd.ie. It's available on the Trinity website. That's probably the easiest way to contact me. Awesome. We'll put those links in the show notes so that everybody can find you very easily. Dr. Emma Stokes, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Brandon. Well, I hope that episode was entertaining as much as it was informational and educational. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, we ask you to please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. And please share out the episodes to those who you feel may be able to benefit from them. We also urge you to follow us on all social media platforms at HET Podcast and let us know what topics or experts you would like to hear from in future episodes. And just as a reminder, none of the information on today's show should be considered medical advice. It's simply infotainment or edutainment to help educate our audience. For medical advice, we always advise you to reach out to your preferred medical professionals, and we'll see you on the next show.